0: Crossing Church. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, as we continue in our series that we have entitled, This Incredible Opportunity. And I just want to say, if you are a guest, if you're not a part of a church, or this is your first time joining us, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors of the Crossing Church, and I'm so glad uh, to have you with us. If you want to learn more about us as a church, or how you can get connected, or how we can serve you, uh, I would encourage you. We're going to drop a link right now in the comment section um, that is just a way for you to, to click on and fill some information about yourself so we know how, again, we can pray for you and serve you and get you whatever it is that you might need as far as information goes about our church. That being said, Joel chapter 2, I'm going to read in verse 12 through verse 14. Even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sinning calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is watching right now online. Uh, I thank you for their story. I thank you for how, even though I I don't know who all is watching, that that you see them, and you love them, and you care for them, and you want to invite them into deeper, uh, fuller, more complete life. And I pray that that is what we experience in you today. And it's in Jesus' name that I do pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago I was in our garden in the backyard. My wife had sent me back there to try to harvest some radishes, kale, and lettuce uh that she wanted me to collect for a little garden salad that she was making. And while I was in the garden, to my surprise, I saw what must have been a hundred tomato plant sprouts that were pushing through the soil. And the reason this surprised me is because uh the seeds or the sprouts that were pushing through were the result of seeds that had been dropped by our tomato plants from the previous year. Seeds that remained buried and dormant throughout the entire winter season, but then through their death produced life, produced these sprouts that to this day continue to grow and eventually will produce an abundance of fruit. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought about this theme that runs throughout the library of scripture, where God invites us to view ourselves as the seed. And as Jesus points out in the New Testament, it is only whenever a seed goes into the ground and dies, that then it can produce life. In light of that, because we continue, at least emotionally speaking, kind of find ourselves in this season, in a season that feels like the winter, in a season where we still see death and lament and loss, I want to take some time this morning to talk about how it's in this season of dormancy that we actually have an incredible opportunity given to us by God to repent. An incredible opportunity to view ourselves as a seed that actually learns how to die to the things God is calling us to die to so that we can experience an abundance of fruit. And I just want to acknowledge before I dive into the text today that I know this is not a topic that most people are excited about. Uh, I'm sure that when I say the word repent, most people are not like, yippee, like exactly what I was hoping for. Today, I know that for some of you, because of uh, your background, um, repentance is something that when you think about it, it seems overwhelming, maybe even discouraging for some of you because of a legalistic setting or because you've seen the guy standing on a street corner with a bullhorn. When you think about this word repentance, I mean, it comes with all kinds of baggage. Maybe even for some of you, without even realizing it, you're following this 11th commandment that you've created that says, I will not do at all what I've seen others do Poorly And if that's where you are this morning, I just want you to know I'm glad that you are with us. But my hope today is by the time we come to the end of the sermon is that rather than viewing repentance as a spare tire, that you will see it as a steering wheel, that you will see it as an essential component in the Christian life that is actually designed to keep you out of the ditch of destruction and heading down a road that leads to abundant life. With that in mind, we'll go back to Joe chapter two. And just to set the context for you, because of Israel's disobedience, because of the rebellion, their land has been devastated by an evasion of locusts. In chapter one, verse four, we read, What the locust swarms have left, the great locusts have eaten. And what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Are you getting the picture? Because of Israel's rebellion, these locusts have come into their land and left them in ruin. And now literally every part of their society has been negatively affected from their health to their economy to everything in between. Because of these locusts, Israel now finds themselves in a place of desolation. And it's in the middle of this nationwide crisis in their own season of death and dormancy where their harvest has been devoured. God, through the prophet Joel, says, let me show you now how to grow. Let me show you how to experience a new growth where you grow in your faith through this practice of repentance. And so we pick back up in verse 12, where we read, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. If you want a great definition of what it means to repent, I can't think of a better one than what we see right here in verse 14. We're simply put to repent is to return to God. It's to do an about face. It's to return home. Like the prodigal son who runs back to be with his father, to repent is to come to a place where you grieve over your sin. You don't just grieve over the consequences of your sin, but you grieve over the sin itself that has distanced you from your heavenly father. And then out of grief and out of brokenness, you turn back to him. And when you turn back to God, notice This is not just a mental exercise. This is not just some sort of empty religious ritual, but this is meant to be a genuine and heartfelt motion and move. In verse 12, again, God says, "'Return to me with what?' "'With all of your heart.'" In verse 13, he says, Rend your heart and not just your garments. Now, in Western culture, when we think of the heart, what do we think of? This muscle that pumps blood into our body. But that's not the way the writers of the scripture thought of the heart. When they think of the heart, they don't think of a muscle, but they think about your entire being. And so when it says in here to return to me with all of your heart, what God is saying is return to me with all of your person. Return to me with all of your will. Come to me not just in mind, but also with your body and your emotions. This is why Oswald Sanders once said, in order to truly repent, one must pray for the gift of tears and brokenness. Why would we ever pray for the gift of tears and brokenness? Because tears and brokenness are a sign of true repentance, and true repentance is always a gift from God. Believe it or not, to have the ability to actually see your sin, that's a gift from God. And then to not just be able to see your sin, but be broken over your sin, and not just being broken over your sin, but but rather than sitting in shame and guilt to, 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 to flee from your sin and to turn to Christ, that is a gift from God. And it's a gift because when you repent, when you turn from your sin into God, rather than living filled with shame and guilt and fear, you experience the fruit of love and joy and peace. You experience what it feels like to be forgiven and free. And the reason I can say that with confidence is because of God's character, which is exactly where Joe, uh, Joe fixes our attention. Again, in verse 13, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sinning calamity. Joe says this is God's natural default setting. God is a God who is compassionate. That word compassionate that he uses here, is it's a feeling word. It's the it's type of feeling that a mom has for her child. I think about my own wife and how she interacts with our kids, especially when they're hurt or sick, and just the tender care that she has towards them. The Bible says this is what God is like towards you. And he's not just con, uh, compassionate, he's also gracious. The word gracious is not just a, a feeling word, but it's an action word, which means that, that unlike us, whenever sometimes we, we, we look at somebody and we say, oh, that's so sad, but we fail to move into action towards that person, God always responds. His feelings are always in, in, align, in alignment with his actions. And so God, he, he's a God that actually moves towards those who are most vulnerable. He moves towards you when you're broken. He moves towards you in love and, and compassion and tenderness when you are at your worst. This is what it means when it says God is compassionate and gracious. He is also, Joseph slow to anger. God does not have a hair-trigger temper. God is not the kind of God that every time you just mess up, his face turns red and his nostrils flare out and he's just ready to crush you. You know, the Bible says he is slow to anger. Yes, God does get angry, but you have to work really, really hard to get him there. He is also abounding in love, Joel says. That means that he is like a, a husband who is jealous for his bride. He continues to pursue us and love us despite our unfaithfulness. He's like the husband who goes off to work, and then, and then he comes home, and even though his wife has cheated on him with, with other people, and even though she's burnt the dinner, and the house is a wreck, and the kids are crazy, he says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to pursue you, and I'm going to be to you as I should be, even if you're not as you should be to me. And is this not what we see at the cross? Or rather than God making us work our way to him, Rather than him saying, you know what, you made your bed, now you've got to lay in it. He looked on our sinful state and in compassion and with grace, he moved towards us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his own son Jesus so that rather than being condemned for our sin, we can receive eternal life. This is who our God is. He's a God who, Joel says, relents from sinning disaster. And therefore in verse 14, he says, if you repent, if you will turn to him, who knows, no matter who you are or what you've done, he may turn and relent. And not only that, he may leave behind a blessing. In other words, Joel says, no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how much sin you have committed or how much you've rebelled against God, if you repent, you can be forgiven. And not only can you be forgiven, but, but you can actually be restored, which is what we continue to read in Joel chapter two. If you look down in verse 24, God says, if you repent, The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. God wants you to overflow with this new wine, which is a symbol of joy in the scriptures. In verse 25, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locusts swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. This is a word some of you desperately need to hear. Because of sin that you have committed in your life, you feel so much shame right now. You have lost so much. You feel like literally because of your sin, your best years are behind you. And what you need to hear today is the promise from God that is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It is the promise that if you will turn to him with all of your heart, that he will meet you with grace and compassion and love and you can be forgiven. And God over time will restore all that was taken from you. And therefore in light of that this morning, the call to you and me is to repent, to reject compromise, to reject spiritual apathy, and to turn to God with all of our heart. Maybe for some of you this morning, if you can be honest, uh, you have found yourself in this pattern of habitual sin. You continue to grieve the Holy Spirit as if it is no big deal. And as a result, your heart has grown hard, which has made it impossible for God to plant seeds into your life that can take root and produce this abundance of fruits. And therefore, the call today is to break up the unplowed ground of your heart. I think of that line in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. This says, "Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. You know, the truth is sin, no matter what shape or size, has a hardening effect on our hearts, which in the words of Hosea, actually keeps us from being able to reap the fruit of unfailing love which is the thing that you and I desperately need the most and therefore today I just want to call you to 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 break up this unplowed ground and by the way to, to to break up the unplowed ground is not just to confess your sin some people think that confession is the new repentance in 2020 it's like as long as I just admit I'm a sinner and I'm broken and yeah I'm screwed up like that's all that really matters you need to know today, like, confession and repentance are not the same thing. Like, God is not looking for uh, someone to confess just with this, you know, with their mouth. He is looking for someone to come to him with a broken and contrite heart. He is looking for us to get to a place where we are actually grieved over the sin that is creating distance between us and him. And that's what repentance is all about. Listen, repentance is not about getting God off your back. Repentance is about getting back to God. Repentance is about relationship. Repentance is about you deepening and strengthening your intimacy with the God who alone can satisfy you and fulfill you. And so with that being said, the question is this, is this for you this morning. Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to repent? Where is there something that is maybe going on in your heart that God is calling you to address? Where is there sin in your life that God is inviting you today to up? root. You know, one of the tragic things about being a pastor is watching people who at one time are so excited about Jesus actually begin to fade away. Uh, People who, um, not overnight, but over time, just they keep making these little compromises um, which harden their hearts, calls them to become spiritually apathetic, and eventually just drift away from God. I was reading about the life of David last week in 1 Samuel, and um, you know, David, he was a man after God's own heart, the Bible said. And yet he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then after he committed adultery, he didn't want her husband to find out. And so he killed her husband. And what you got to realize about David, David didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, it's a beautiful day. I think I'm going to have an affair. And then I think I'm going to go kill somebody. Like David didn't do that. David's affair and his murder, we have to understand this. It began with one small compromise at a time. It started with these small incremental decisions that had a massive impact, not only in his life, but on the entire kingdom of Israel. And it's so important that we get this today because I think a lot of times in our culture, we're so foolish and we think that that it's the big sins that we really have to be worried about. And the truth is, guys, the little sins are far more dangerous Because unlike what we classify as the big sins, it's the little sins that if we ignore them and they continue to go unnoticed, they just chip away at the life that we long to experience. And so a lot of that, again, where do you need to repent? Where is there sin in your life, big or small, that the Spirit is calling you to address? Maybe for some of you this morning, it's around your sexuality. Uh, Maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you're looking at pornography. Uh, Maybe for some of you, it's a lack of love for the church. Uh, Jesus Christ loves the church so much, he died for her. And for some of you, if you can be honest, you're just kind of trying to keep the church at arm's length. You're not plugging in. You're not loving the church the way that Jesus does. Maybe for some of you need to repent um, around this area of neglecting your family duties, husbands who are not pursuing their wives, um, not pouring in to their, to their kids or coming home, maybe just playing video games or you know, hanging out in the shop or whatever else. For some of you need to repent of abuse of alcohol or prescription medication or drugs. Others, maybe it's lying or it's gossiping or it's, it's holding a grudge against someone who has hurt you. Uh, maybe it's materialism or greed or vanity or envy. Maybe for some of you it's coarse humor. There are some of you that tell jokes that you would never dare tell if Jesus Christ was there in the flesh beside you. For some of you, you're robbing God and your tithes and your offerings, or maybe you're not using your gifts to serve others. Maybe for some it's pride or it's religious hypocrisy or it's self-righteous. I don't know what it is for you. I just want to ask you, does anything come to your mind? Does the Spirit bring anything to the surface? You know, um, anytime I preach a sermon, I always have to preach it to myself first. And um, depending on the topic, sometimes that can be less fun than other times. And so last week, after thinking about, you know, I'm going to preach a sermon on repentance, I went home and I logged onto my computer and I began to watch The Last Dance, um, which if you don't know what that is, it's an ESPN documentary that follows the 97, 98 Chicago Bulls. It's fantastic. It's great. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it, and uh, I'm just reminded that Michael Jordan really was like the best player to ever live. And if anybody like disputes that, like especially young kids who didn't get a chance to watch him, go watch this and you realize he was definitely way better than LeBron. Okay. And so, um, anyways, I'm watching this, and 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 as I'm watching Jordan just win, man, just hit these game-winning shots and and get all of this, you know, acclaim and popularity and money. I noticed in my heart something that began to crop up to where I thought to myself, man, I really want to be the Michael Jordan of ministry. Like I want to be the Michael Jordan of preaching. Like, I, I, and what I was saying in that moment is, more than I want people to see Jesus, I want them to see me. And I don't just want them to see me. I want to be like, seen as successful. And what the Spirit began to show me in that moment is, Jared, you're once again beginning to define your value by your accomplishments. And gently, and let's say, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not like shame and guilt. It's like gently begin to say, like, that's not the life that you want. I've got something better for you than that. Don't walk in this way. Kill this sin before it kills you. And maybe for some of you, you hear that and you're like, Jerry, come on, man. That's not that, really, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not like you're doing black tar heroin, right? Or it's not like you're looking at porn or you're physically cheating on your wife. Like that, It's not that big of a deal. But again, remember, it's the small sins that your DNA won't talk to you about that are the most dangerous. It is the small, seemingly popular, insignificant sins that if left unchecked and unabated act as this cumulative effect on your life. It's like this weird anesthetic that numbs the soul, that makes us spiritually apathetic and then leads us down a path that I promise you is a path you do not want to travel. And that is why despite what you have been told, you actually, and I actually need to go above and beyond In our pursuit of holiness. As we said last week, thanks to COVID 19, we are in a place of exile, which means we're in a place we don't want to be. It's a place that's uncomfortable. And from my experience, oftentimes when people are in a place of exile, they make the tragic mistake of erring on the side of freedom, freedom rather than on the side of holiness. And exile is not the place you want to do that. And so if there's an in-between area this morning, if there's a gray area and you're like, you know, wondering, like is that really the spirit convicting me of that sin right now? Or is it just something I had, you know, for breakfast? Or is it my legalistic background? Rather than playing the mental gymnastics that we often do to justify our sin, just ask yourself this question. Would Jesus do this if he was me? Would Jesus do this if he was me? And if the answer to that question is no, then don't do it. And if you're like, well, I'm not really sure, man. Like, Jesus didn't have Netflix, Jesus didn't have a girlfriend, so I don't really know. He didn't get a stimulus check, so I don't really know what he would do with this. And I would always say this, err on the side of holiness. I am pretty sure that most of us are not going to come to the end of our life and be like, man, I really wish I would have spent more time watching the Ozarks or you know, Game of Thrones or whatever other you know series is out there that honestly, as disciples, we really shouldn't even watch But what I do think is going to happen is we're going to come to the end of our life and be like, why did I not press harder into the presence of God? Because, guys, that's where fullness of joy is. That's where pleasures forevermore are. That's where the life is that you're longing to experience. And therefore, in light of that, if you want to experience more of this life, more of God's presence, more of that joy, God says to you and me today, be holy, for I am holy. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that shall see God. In other words, you want to see God? You want God to go from being an abstract idea to just having the second-hand experience of him to actually having a first-hand intimate encounter with him and therefore experience the joy and the life you were created for? You have to cultivate a heart that is pursuing purity. You have to have a heart that is quick to repent, to turn from your sin and continue daily to turn back to God. As a way of helping us do that this week, uh, I want to borrow an idea from Keith Green. And if you don't know who Keith Green is, he was basically this like hippie, prophet, singer, songwriter, um, who tragically died in a plane crash at the height of his career. But I was reading his biography last year, which is entitled No Compromise, and this had a profound impact on my life. It's such a great title because Keith Green's life really was a life of no compromise, um, even when no one was looking. This guy like went above and beyond to pursue holiness. And as I was reading that book, by the way, I was thinking, like, isn't it the people we admire The people we admire are not the people who compromise and like go with the flow and fit in. It's like the people who who develop strong convictions and continue to pursue those even whenever no one else is watching. And that was Keith Green. But there's this uh, part in the book where his wife, who wrote the biography, is talking about one of the most transformative moments in Keith's spiritual journey. And she said it was a time where, he got alone and he basically went through this list of sins um, that he found that was kind of listed out by Charles Finney, who was uh, an evangelist back in the day. And, and he was reading through these sins just uh, before the Lord and just said, OK, God, here's my heart. I'm not going to assume that, that these sins are not inside of me. In fact, I'll assume maybe some of them are, and I'm just open to whatever your spirit says. And he said that he sat in a room, and over time, God began to bring these to the surface and and break his heart over these sins. And As he repented, I mean, he experienced the empowering presence of God like never before that really just set the trajectory for the rest of his life. And, and so in light of that today, I just thought, like, man, like let's just let's make a practice. Let's just try to carve out time to do that this week. And so right now in the comment section, what we're going to do is we're going to drop a link to the same list of sins that Keith Green read through that's provided by Finney. And, and I think, you know, maybe there are more sins out there, but it's a great, pretty exhaustive list. And what I want to encourage you to do this week is just openly and honestly before the Lord, just to get alone, to read through those slowly and say, okay, Holy Spirit, are there any sins that I have left unchecked and unabated? or the little small sins, seemingly insignificant sins, and I'm like, God, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but that continue to stay in my heart that you're calling me to uproot. And then secondly, what I would encourage you to do is just to join me this Wednesday in fasting. And fasting, it's just a time that we see right here in Joe where, where God says, when you return to me, return with mourning and fasting. And so join me in basically just saying, okay, God, yeah, I grieve over the state of my sin. And therefore, I want to take a day just to starve my flesh so that I can feed on the Spirit. And so if you're physically able, you can fast through breakfast and lunch, and then we'll break uh, fast at dinner. And remember that the whole point in all this is not to earn God's love. It's just to experience more of God's love. The point of repentance is not to beat yourself up or to drag yourself to the mud, but it's to experience more of the freedom and the fulfillment and the fruitfulness that God has for you. It is true that sin has grave consequences in our lives. But it is also true that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And therefore, I just want to say as I close this morning that even if you find yourself living in the aftermath of your sin where you feel like the locusts have taken everything and you're now just kind of standing in this wreckage of what used to be your life because of who God is, you can know today you're also standing on top of a soil that is ready to produce a harvest that you can reap through repentance. And therefore, the encouragement is to keep going to God. Keep turning back to God and know that through death will come life. And over time, you will produce an experience of fruit that is sweeter and more abundant than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for those who are um, still hanging on and listening this morning. I just pray that, um, Father, for each person who hears this, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, help them to feel how much you love them. That they would see you as this loving parent who, who whenever they're in sin, it's like you're calling a child out of the street before they get hit. That they would see that, God, that, that the conviction that you bring from your Holy Spirit, the call to turn from sin and to turn to you, is actually a, a call to turn into deeper life and a deeper joy. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would grant us all the spirit of repentance, that you would give us the faith, Father, to trust, to, to walk by, uh, not by sight, but by, but by faith, trust in you more deeply. And as a result, that we would experience your empowering presence and it would change us from the inside out. And it's in Christ's name that I pray and as He sings, amen.